Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Director of Outreach and Marketing at the Naval Institute. Joining me for this special edition of the podcast is my co-host, retired Fleet Master Chief Paul Kingsbury, the co-director of Outreach and the editor of the latest edition of the Chief's Guide. Hello, Paul. How are things down there in the Hampton Roads Bureau of the Naval Institute? Things are great. They're a little chilly and windy today, but other than that, we're uh, we're doing good. Yeah, it's the same up here. It's uh, it's going to be like hot and humid, and we'll be complaining about that. But it seems like um, we've been in terminal San Francisco weather here for the last three months or so. It's been hoodie weather every day, which again, it's you know I'm not going to complain because sure as shooting, we'll be in the depths of summer um, without any springtime. But uh, we had the Blue Angels fly over Annapolis today. We've been doing um, these quintiles of commissioning ceremonies for the Naval Academy class of 2020. And today, uh, this quintile had a very cool uh, flyby by the Blue Angels. And so I don't know if you've seen the video of it. Um, I posted uh, or actually retweeted what the Naval Academy Twitter account posted. But right as they're throwing their covers into the air, the Blue Angels fly over Bancroft Hall and do the fleur-de-lis. It's really like Uh, It'll give you chills. It's really cool. So it's good to see in the face of these challenges, um, and I'm sure we'll talk to our guests about some of the challenges that the Coast Guard is facing in this COVID-19 environment, but it's good to see some unfettered joy and some celebrations like they had today in T-Court for the new ensigns and second lieutenants from the Naval Academy class of 2020. Um, What's going on uh, on your side of the house, Paul? So a lot of stuff, uh, well, actually, the outreach piece that I normally do, you know, as you know, it's been shut down, haven't been able to travel, haven't been able to go up to the Senior Enlist Academy or the uh, Marine Corps Senior Enlist Academy and engage there. Uh, regardless, we did, uh, I was able to sign a letter out and we presented the MMC Richard McKenna Award for Excellence in Written Communications at the Navy Senior Enlisted Academy to EODCS Roberto Ramirez. So I sent him a letter. He got a signed copy of the Chief Petty Officer Guide. So they're trying to do what they need to do virtually. So congratulations to Senior Enlisted Academy Class 231 on their graduation. And then I've been taking this time really to keep working on the first edition of the upcoming Petty Officer's Guide. Um, We had that close to finishing and then kind of reviewed it and figured that we wanted to add a a little more content, make it a little more different from the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. So I've had the opportunity now to really focus on that. And then beyond that, just using social media venues and – you know, email to keep people informed, keep the enlisted community informed of what's going on. You know, we just finished up the entries for the Coast Guard essay contest, but we've got the CNO Naval History Essay Contest coming up with a deadline of 31 May. So great opportunity there. We got the Naval Mine Warfare Essay Contest due 30 June. And, uh, you know, this month we had the from, the from the Deck Plate article published by Petty Officer Denisha Marie Smith, which was eight ways to be successful in the Navy. So there's a Deck Plate perspective on on her take on leadership and being successful as a petty officer and adapting to Navy culture and challenges. And then Ward, I just got to say props to the Naval Institute team, Uh, a lot of behind the scenes work going on to bring us digital and produce content digitally. As you know, we meet weekly with the, you know, with the product team and uh, just from my outside view, I'm completely impressed by the team. And I think they go, uh, unrecognized that it takes a lot to produce that content, but there's people on our team that are doing that for us daily and they're doing a great job. Yeah, I concur. And thanks for saying that. Um, I'm not on the periodicals team, but, uh, but I am an adjunct, I guess, as it were. 
Um, so this is props as well to our our chief technical officer, our, our digital officer, and our, our tech team, including our contractors who are our dev team, uh, to keep us agile in the in the digital arena. Um, and we really haven't missed a beat, including producing the print version of Proceedings and Naval History Magazine, which uh, team's hard at work uh, at, in a distance construct. So uh, we can keep going. Uh, obviously, we'd like to be co-located and back to normal, quote unquote. Um, but in the meantime, your Naval Institute will keep bringing you the issues that are first and foremost to the sea services as we have since the founding in 1873 and the first issue of the Proceedings of the Naval Institute in 1874. So with that in mind, Paul, why don't we get right to our guest? Absolutely. So our guest today, thanks you know, again for joining us, is the 13th Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, Jason Vander Hayden. This is his second appearance on the Proceedings Podcast. Um, so he uh, is a native of Tallahassee, Florida, like we talked last time, right? I'm a native of South Florida, so we got that uh, in common. I don't think either, either of us uh, have the attributes of Florida man, so it's good to know there's you know good guys out there. So he enlisted in the Coast Guard in May of 1988. He's got a variety of mission assignments. You can read that on his online bio. Uh, he's a graduate of the Coast Guard Chief Petty Officers Academy, the Harvard Kennedy School. He's got a leadership and Homeland Security course, the National Defense University's Keystone Joint Command Senior Enlisted Leader course, and he holds a Bachelor's of Science degree from Excelsior College. So, Mashi Vander Hayden, thanks for joining us and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Fleet. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be with you. So, you know, the first time we had you on was great, great conversation about what was going on. So uh, I'm going to link this. I'm going to start this on. So the May edition of Proceedings was the U.S., you know, the Services and Review. So a lot has been going on in the U.S. Coast Guard. So here's some highlights, uh, at least what we covered for the U.S. Coast Guard the past year. So um, on the not so good front, right, you kind of started with a big event in 2019 of a 35 day government shutdown <laughs> that you had to navigate through. Not not a good way to start. Um, and then Commandant Schultz, you know, indicated in his Coast Guard address that he felt the service was reaching a tipping point regarding readiness. And he quoted in a modestly funded organization like the Coast Guard, this has resulted in deferred maintenance, a strain and undersized workforce and antiquated information systems. He said, and we continue to face an extensive shore infrastructure backlog that now exceeds $1.7 billion. And he said that's particularly problematic for an organization with facilities spread far and wide across the nation. With that said, you guys are doing great things for the nation and getting things done. So some highlights here. So in May through July of last year, the Cutter Fleet had 14 interdictions totaling 39,000 pounds of cocaine, 933 pounds of marijuana with an estimated value of $569 million. And as the year came to a close – uh, the U.S. Coast Guard Berthoff alone conducted three busts totaling almost 6,000 pounds of cocaine, valued at more than 100 million. So probably you guys have seized more than 1 billion in cocaine and drugs. In September, the service was deeply involved, both in the international and national response to Hurricane Dorian, uh, as the storm ravaged the Bahamas and came ashore in South and North Carolina. So another mission set you guys are involved in. And then you're up in the Arctic, too, right, with interest in the Arctic and Antarctica continuing to grow. The icebreaker Polar Star successfully completed a 105-day deployment to Antarctica in support of Operation Deep Freeze. So this year was the 63rd iteration of that. And then as part of uh, you continue operating with the Navy, right, so now let's head out to the Pacific. So you're operating with 7th Fleet, the Berthoff commanded by Captain Driscoll and under the tactical command of 7th Fleet deployed to the East China Sea to enforce U.N. Security Council economic sanctions on North Korea aimed at deterring its nuclear weapons development. 
So operationally around the world, engaged and doing good stuff. And then on the personnel front, something close to us, um, a few things. Last year, updated the tattoo policy and your weight and body fat policies. And then in, uh, started the Every Coastie is an Innovator Initiation. And then bringing it forward this year, uh, and we'll touch on this in a little bit, is the centennial anniversary of the U.S. Coast Guard Chief Petty Officer. Uh, and Jason, you know, frankly, you don't look at a year over 75. So <laughs> I think you're doing all right at this point. So with all that stage up from last year, what are you and the Commandant focused on? What's going on now? Obviously, COVID-19 is at the forefront, but uh, can you give us a roll-up of what's going on? Yes, uh, thanks, Paul. So co- obviously, COVID-19 is dominating the, our, our, our efforts right now to, to continue to serve the public and continue to perform our missions. You know, we still need, you know, commerce still has to flow. We, we still want to uh, keep drugs off the streets and, uh, and we still want to save lives. And to do that safely in this environment is a challenge, but we're getting it done. Uh, we, we're pressing in. Uh, you mentioned that Bertoff went over to uh, sail with Seventh Fleet and Indo-PACOM. We also have sent, since sent the Coast Guard Cutter Stratton, uh, the a sister ship to Bertoff under the command of Captain Bob Little. And they did a, a tour over there well, doing some uh, sanctions, UN sanction stuff and some uh, outreach to Oceania. We, uh, we have an Oceania campaign going on right now to, uh, you know, to really reinforce the United States' uh, desire to, to, to build relationships with our, with our ASEAN partners, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam. Uh, uh, the the Federated States of Micronesia and all the all the island nations out there, uh, Palau. We're we're really uh, working hard to build those relationships, uh, and uh, we have a we have uh, the Coast Guard Cutter Midget that's out there right now uh, doing that. And then, uh, um, you know, we, we're continuing to serve, you know, here in the United States and 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 make ourselves as ready as possible. We're under a tech revolution. We're calling this a tech revolution where we, we're updating our C4IT, C5I infrastructure so that, uh, you know, we can, we're ready to perform it. We've, we didn't make the necessary investments in the past. Uh, well, there, we didn't make it because we didn't have it, not because we didn't want to. Uh, right. we're, we're, we are investing in our technology and our, in our C5I infrastructure so that we can uh, give our crews better bandwidth at sea. We've uh, we've committed to doubling the at sea bandwidth for our for our, our crews so that they when they go to sea they'll have good connectivity back to uh, back to the back to shore. And then uh, we're we're updating our uniforms. So uh, Rick O'Raw, our, our good friend, um, is uh, he, he he's beta testing a. Uh, uh, organizational clothing for underway, uh, those, those solid, solid looking, solid blue, solid khaki uniforms that, uh, are fire retardant for a cruise. Uh, we, we are going to do the same thing in blue. It won't be the, the fire retardant version. It'll be, it'll, but we will be in the type three, the, the Navy type three in blue, um, solid blue. And it will be, uh, we'll have two versions of that. We'll have a lightweight or a hot weather version, which will be great. It's uh, very breathable, uh, and, uh, a lot more comfortable for our folks. And then we'll have the standard weight version. Um, and that's coming pretty soon. I hope to have that, uh, starting to, we're, we're starting to roll out on that. COVID is, is slowed that, uh, that process down. We, we're, 
trying to be as we're, we're really focusing on diversity and inclusion right now. So we we believe that going forward, uh, in order to be as ready as we can be, we need to recruit from the from the all everybody in the coast, everybody that's eligible to serve. We need to be attracted to them as an organization. And to do that, we need to be as diverse and inclusive as we can. And I think that the sense of inclusion needs to happen first. And then because you can recruit all the diversity you want. But if you're not if you're not an inclusive workforce, it's hard to keep those folks. So we're really focusing on our diversity and inclusion action plan. And we've uh, we've commissioned Rand to do a, a study of how uh, we can better uh, attract and retain underrepresented minorities. And this is falling uh, on on a very successful study of our women. Uh, we did a, a women's retention study, and that was uh, that that was the genesis of some of the the weight and body fat standards that we updated. We we've, we've now included. We we don't have a physical fitness test per se. But what we've done is we've said we've we've taken our law enforcement and boat crew physical fitness tests and said, if you can meet that standard, that will satisfy the weight and body fat test. So uh, we've we've tried to um, we've tried to, to look at how our policies were negatively affecting or, or or at least not negatively affecting, but disproportionately affecting uh, certain sector segments of the of our of our workforce, um, you know, we, and we we continue to assess readiness. COVID nineteen has has made some interesting, given us some opportunities because we've had to pause certain uh, human resource uh, uh, management tools. Like we had to move, we we take a service wide exam for advancement, and we yeah. had to post we had to postpone that. Uh, you know, we normally would take would have taken that in May, uh, and we've postponed it to November, and, and that probably will give us the opportunity to, 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 to adjust that process to maybe a once a year process. Uh, we've gone to a master chief advancement panel. So we, we advanced our senior enlisted uh, 80% of it by, a te- by test. The other 20% was by evaluations, awards, uh, time at sea, things like that. We have, got, we have done away with the test for E9 and we are going to uh, go strictly with a with a panel uh, for that, and we're going to try to move to to doing that at our E8 level as well. And uh, that's uh, that that brings us in parity with the other services. Uh, so so that's an exciting time for us. A lot of little little bit of anxiety with our senior chiefs, uh, right? You know, it's kind of something new. Uh, but I think in the in the future, that's the way to go. The future. Um, I'm, I'm going to pause there because I think that there's some more things you want to talk about. And I'd like to tie in a couple other of our initiatives to some some things I, I, I think we might get into as we discuss other things going on in the Coast Guard. OK, uh, so, yes, I was going to uh, you know kind of transition in as as we mentioned, all those operations and policies going on. Clearly, the cheese mess is huge in uh, not only the execution, but the you know, being change agents and being able to help the organization integrate those kind of changes, whether it be a selection board or a new uniform or what have you. And this year, like I mentioned, is the centennial for the rate of the chief petty officer. So I want to kind of get your thoughts about, I saw you posted the other day on Facebook, a great video. So if the listeners want to check that out, uh, it's on uh, your personal or on your MCPOG Facebook page, a little history of the Coast Guard chief petty officer. But what are the, some of the significant milestones of the uh, Coast Guard chief petty officer rate, kind of how it's evolved and, and your take on how 
as I learned um, personally, but I want to get your take, you know, we're all, you know, we have the same chief, senior chief, mass chief, but there are differences between Navy and Coast Guard. So can you highlight some of that? There are. And uh, I, I tell you, I'm uh, very proud to be a member of the Sea Services Chiefs Mess. Uh, uh, we do borrow a lot from the Navy. Uh, the Navy, you know, we didn't have chiefs as soon as the Navy. The Navy had chiefs uh, many years before us. I, I didn't realize that, but quite a few years before us, May 18, 1920, the first Coast Guard Chief Petty Officer was advanced. Um, and, uh, you know, the Coast Guard became a service in 1915 when we combined the revenue cutter service and the, the uh, life-saving service and other services. To, to So about three years after the Coast Guard was formed, we determined we needed chief petty officers in, in the Coast Guard. So we, we, we established that in, in uh, well, about five years, rather, in, in 1920. Uh, and then we continued to grow uh, the chief petty officers and just, and, and they had a, the, the chief petty officers have always had a, a strong leadership role we, as a, as a small service, um, you know, we, we needed enlisted, we had enlisted commands. So we still have enlisted commands where our chief petty officers, uh, particularly bosun mate chief petty officers, um, have NJP authority, which is unique in the military. Uh, and that's just surely because we just don't have enough officers to be able to put an officer at every unit. So we kind of had to do that. Um, and, uh, and then in 19, so we, you know, went through, uh, participated in, in World War II and, 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 you know, Korea and all that. And, and, uh, with, with just chief petty officers. And then, as you know, in 1958, uh, Congress passed the, the senior enlisted, uh, so giving us the E8, E9, which we, uh, we followed on to that. And then, uh, um, interestingly about, uh, so then in 1969, we, that was when we established our Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, and Charlie Calhoun was the first Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard in 1969. We, as you're aware, in the sea services, especially the, the Navy and the, and the Coast Guard, we do a chief's call to initiation or indoctrination or induction or whatever you want to, whatever the term is uh, of the day. But we, we, it's now back to initiation. I think we're both calling it initiation yeah. now. And uh, so... That, that actually was a very informal, unregulated process uh, to develop uh, the, the, the chief, to, to help the, the newly advanced chiefs understand what it means to be a chief in the mess. And then uh, 25 years ago, we, um, Master Chief Pedros, the Coast Guard number four, Jay Lloyd, uh, worked with the Commandant to formalize that process. So our CCTI became formalized. Well, it was roughly 25 years ago, 25, 26 years ago, uh, and since then we've be, we've continued to professionalize that that CCTI process to grow the the chief's mess, and now um, you know we we and, and then we continue to to develop our command master chief uh, network. When I was uh, when I got first selected to command master chief, there was no screening panel, there was no nothing. It was just um, you kind of just got picked for it. You know, there was really, it was, a it's kind of an interesting process where it was a little, a lot of mystery behind it, but you, you know, you, you got picked for it. And then, uh, now we've, we've grown that into a panel, uh, process and formalized that. And we have a, a really uh, strong pool of candidates every year. 
And I think our flag officers and our O6s that have command master chiefs um, really appreciate the, the the professionalism that their CMCs bring to the to the job now. And then um, uh, now we've you know this year we're going to start the master chief advancement panel, and a lot of that has to do with the, in my opinion, the future of the military with blended retirement is going to put an imperative on leadership and quality of life in the service. Uh, we are, the blended retirement system is giving our junior members uh, options and uh, that they didn't have before. It used to be, you got somebody to 10 years, you probably got them to 20. But now with the blended retirement system and the matching and their, their opportunity to, to, to uh, get, a, get credentialed, get a degree through tuition assistance, and then uh, be saving money in, in a, in a, in a 401 k like uh, you know account, you know in 10 years they're gonna they'll be they'll still feel like hey I've, I've got some some opportunities here. Also, the reduced annuity amount of your retirement will not make getting to 20 years quite as attractive because you just won't be retiring with as much money. So uh, I think leadership is going to be critical to retention. And the chief's mess is critical to leadership. So we really want to grow the best and the brightest leaders to be our chief petty officers, our senior chief petty officers, our master chief petty officers. And so we, we're, we're putting a strong emphasis on, on good enlisted leadership or, 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 and, uh, to, so that we can continue to retain, attract and retain the best and brightest to, to serve in the Coast Guard. Okay. Uh, yeah, so one of the questions I was going to ask you was, um, cause that kind of links to it. What's your assessment? Like, you know, we've looked over a hundred years of chief petty officer. What's your assessment of today's chief's mess? Where's it good? Where's it strong? Where can it be strengthened or adjusted to lead this next generation of coast guardsmen that you, uh, that you mentioned? Yeah, that, that I had, a um, I got, I, I, I think I stole this from the, in fact, I know I stole it from the Navy was, uh, it was uh, a quote that says the chiefs run the ship so the officers can fight the ship. And uh, I really, my sense is that the chiefs need to feel ownership, take ownership. Uh, we're, we're seeing uh, um, th- with social media a little bit of the way this this the, the, the current generate the current generation that's joining the Coast Guard uh, interact with each other and communicate with each other. Um, there is. It's 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 a different vibe. It's a different feel. People handle stress differently, and uh, you know I need the chiefs to be, you know, you know, really solidly engaged with their people. Understand how they're communicating with each other and when they may or may not be having uh, challenges or issues. Uh, uh, it's it's they they commu- these these the young generation communicate amongst themselves. And, and very quickly, and they and it doesn't necessarily need to be somebody near them. They, you know, with technology and social media, they can they can communicate. You know, with they can be best friends literally with somebody that's you know across the, the country, and uh, it makes it a little more difficult to understand what their challenges are. So the chiefs really have to own that, and I think uh, you know making sure that chiefs take an active role in in mental health and and uh, wellness of the of our of our of our people. That's going to be critical going forward. Um, the, uh, the suicide rates are, are concerning to me. Uh, we had three uh, in a week, and uh, that was just that's just un, un, unheard of for the Coast Guard. So 
uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system. And I think that, you know, we all kind of took a pause and said, hey, we, as chiefs, we own this and we need to take care of our people. Um, and then the, the, the money that we have, the, the training opportunities that we had as chief petty officers, uh, the, the money is not there as much as it used to be for training. Our, our assets, the Coast Guard's new assets, uh, cost a lot to maintain. And that maintenance money is money we used to spend on training. And so what I really need the chiefs to do is to think carefully and, and, and always be thinking about how I can share my experience, how I can develop the people around me through on-the-job training. And, uh, and even though I might not be able to send that petty officer to that, to that C-school I can share. I, I I can share what I know, my experience, and and I can give them a, a C school here. I can and we we kind of have to do that because we we just are not having the we don't have as much money to send folks to training. Also, we're doing a lot more virtual, and not just because of COVID nineteen. Uh, we're doing you know vir- a lot of virtual training, a lot of virtual uh, communication with with our folks, and you know, for an old guy like me, it's not normal. It's not natural. I, I actually, I like to be standing in an all hands on a, on a, on a flight deck of a ship and talking to people face to face and, and kind of gauging them. And uh, so that's a little bit new. And, and so the chief's embracing virtual technology, that's going to be critical too. Um, and just, and then the chief's looking strategically ahead of, you know, where, where does the Coast Guard need to be five years from now? And what can I do as a chief to help the Coast Guard be successful and meet the needs of the nation five, 10 years from now. Absolutely. So when I was at Fleet Forces, you know, there was a uh, discussion in the sense that um, we had outsourced some of the functions that we expected chiefs traditionally to do, right? Some of the maintenance that we used to do in-house or self-sufficiency we developed got, frankly, outsourced to contract-based maintenance. Um, and and there was some conversation about, hey, we got to get the chief's mess refocused on this technical management focus again, right? And you mentioned management, and we talk a lot about leadership, but I think uh, that's a key piece is, hey, you do manage. They plan, they organize, they direct and control maintenance and operations. That's a key part of, like we said, making the Coast Guard or the Navy run. So what feedback do you get from the chiefs on, do they feel they're empowered to do that? Do they need resources? Do they not have the time? You know, we would get a lot of feedback about, you know, what we called, uh, you know, um, redundant duties or, you know, excessive collateral duties and things like that. Are you hearing that on the Coast Guard side? So um, what what we're what's what's challenging with us is getting making sure my leaders, my chiefs have the time to be able to they, they want to they want to they want to engage with the workforce. But um, you know, we it's it's a it's kind of insidious, uh, Paul, that. Uh, we we base a lot of our decisions and we off of information and that information has to be entered into a system to be processed by somebody. And it's usually a senior enlisted person or a junior officer, somebody that's, that's doing literally the, the data entry there. They're, and that, the, the, I don't, what I, what I'm looking for, what I'm hoping for is as we get to uh, better, data analytics, better, faster, smoother ways to collect data, um, you, you know, that's uh, that's going to enable our fo- our chiefs to be able to get out, push back from their computers and get out a little bit more. But when you're, you know, when you're 
when you need the data to justify resource requests, you kind of have to enter the data. You have to you have to put the data in. So, uh, you know, I've I've been uh, you know <laughs> I've been trying to to look for opportunities and ways uh, to streamline data entry and to make it so that um, data gets collected in a, in a smoother, simpler, ex expeditious manner where it gives our people more time. Uh, and that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I think because okay. I think they want to, but they yeah. spend a lot of time entering data. Yeah. And I would get um, occasional feedback, I guess, you know, um, I'd go out and engage chief messes and the point about training, right? They, they'd often have opinions about the training system, right? What the, what the Coast Guard and the Navy was providing. And my point to them was, no, the real learning happens in the fleet, right? Your A school is the cutter, is the ship, is the command you're at. Permission granted to grab the tech manual, engage in self-learning, right? Not yeah. The organization can't teach you everything. And traditionally, I think chief petty officers in the Navy and the Coast Guard have relied on self-learning, and, and then passing that on to their sailors or Coast Guardsmen uh, to transition or to uh, keep that technical knowledge alive in the force. That's, that's, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we ha we will not get to the schools that we used to get to. So it's incumbent upon ourselves to get that knowledge and to make sure that we're the experts, the masters of our craft, and that we can pass that information on Uh it's it, that that's going to be the way of the future, unfortunately. All right. So you guys have a chief petty officer's creed too, I believe from what I've read or been told. And then you've got core values and other value and belief systems that I think shape the focus and attitude of the chief's mess. Can you touch on those a bit? So we, we do, we have the mission, vision and guiding principles of, of the, of the chief's mess. And, uh, obviously our core values honor, respect and devotion and duty. Uh, you know, as we, we have, uh, instituted um, a senior enlisted continuation board. So we used to have uh, the career retention screening panel. I think the Navy had something similar to that uh, where at 20 and 25 years and, and you get looked at and um, you know, that I, I think having, you know, living by a set of core values and, and guiding principles uh, will, will, will always make you successful. You really need to be grounded. You need to have goals you need to have you need to understand what your values are, build goals around your values, and then uh, live that uh, live those goals and values. And and having some guiding principles that that ground you and and you know help you make help you make good decisions. That's that's critical. So we're uh, you know I think it's the Master Chief Pest, the Coast Guard Standing Order Two. Uh, we we have uh, five standing orders. We uh, we're uh, that speaks to the mission vision and guiding principles, uh, that we live by. And I think is all, if we as chiefs all live under the same guiding principles and we can also hold each other accountable in the mess, because that's something that that's a skill is being able to chief the chief. It's, it's, you can chief the junior officer and you kind of, you, you can kind of learn that and, and you understand how, what a junior officer needs, but sometimes being able to, uh, to, uh, hold another chief accountable in the chief's mess, uh, can be difficult and, uh, and, and not fun. But if you have your guiding principles that you're all living by, you have a document to back you up when you need to, when you need to help somebody, uh, adjust something that they're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I felt that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about that. Welcome to the mess when, when new chiefs get brought in, but in the chief pay officer's guide, as you know, I wrote that into that specific chapter. I built that chapter because right. I think it was important to talk about the function of the cheese mess, right? The cheese mess doesn't just exist to be a cheese mess. It exists to enable the individual chief, uh, and to ensure that they're held accountable to the personal and professional standards that uh, we expect of them. And to your point is how do you chief your chief? peers, right? And that's important as well. So um, so the Chief Petty Officer's Creed, you know, ours talks about expectations basically from the wardroom and then expectations we have of each other. It talks about loyalty. It talks about, you know, the expectation to be, you know, a master in your rating and have high expert power and, and personal power too, right? To connect with your people. Um, I could argue that it doesn't talk enough about meeting the expectations of our people, right? Um and on the Navy side, um, there's been some open criticism published and written by sailors about, um, you know, their their lack of trust, frankly, in the cheese mess. Are you hearing that on the Coast Guard side as well? Uh, and, and what's your thoughts on that? You know, um, I, I people don't people probably wouldn't share that with me quite as much. But what I would say is that uh, I do I do have some concern that we that that every chief is role modeling the behavior that they expect from their subordinates. Um, I, I, I want to, you know, it's easy to tell people how to, how they should perform, how they should act, how, what their behavior should be. It's another thing to, you, you can't do as, do as I say, not as I do. So chiefs need to role model the behavior. They need to, they need to arrive early and work later and, uh, make sure their people have the tools and the training and the equipment and, and, and make sure that they're ready. So that when I, when I, uh, uh, when I interviewed for this position with the commandant, I promised the commandant that I would engage the chief's mess and that I would make sure that the chief's mess was tracking right, uh, our, our people's readiness in, in all, all the aspects of readiness from financial to physical, to spiritual, emotional, to training, to, you know, every professional, everything that they do, and the chiefs have to, to role model that behavior. It, you know, nobody's going to come to you with a problem if you're not if you're not living what if you're not living what you t- what you're what you're talking. So um, that's that's probably the biggest thing. I we haven't fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't had many chiefs uh, uh, get in trouble. Uh, chiefs have been by and large doing you know stand doing what they should be doing. Um, but, uh, you know, in order to, to, I think in this generation, especially, uh, this, our, our E4 and E5 generation right now, they, they want, you, you better be, you can't do as I say, not as I do. You better be living what you're telling them. And, uh, and, and that gives you, that's what gives you credibility. Okay. Um, so what's your sense of the role or the expectations of the, what we call the wardroom? of the cheese mess, right? Um, what's their take on it, how effective it is, and what's your thoughts on their role in leading the cheese mess, right? The cheese mess can't just operate, you know, without any kind of oversight per se. Uh, you can get in a bad place if you got a chief mess that isn't ready to do that. So what's your sense right. on that? So I, so I, I tell you, I'm a better chief because of uh, a lieutenant commander who ended up making captain, uh, Bill Lawrence. I, I, when I was a chief, uh, I, I was I was a good chief. I felt like I was a good chief. I was taking care of my people, doing my thing. 
uh, and I was leading my division well, and 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 I, I was I feel like we were performing, but um, there were some things that I just didn't want to do. Uh, there were some I didn't want to I didn't want to make import work lists. I didn't want to uh, you know set people on a specific schedule and things like that. I kind of like to like to I, I wasn't as organized as I could have been. And uh, I had an 04 that really helped me. Nope, chief, I need you to get me a work list. I want to I want to see what your plan is for the import. And nope, I need a schedule and I need you to plan everything out for the for the import. And uh, uh, I did it get kind of not happy about it. And then at the end of the day, I was a lot better chief because of it. Uh, we uh, you know, there comes in a time in an officer's career where they develop the experience and the knowledge and the wisdom to make a chief better. There's a now the JO, yeah. the chief is making a JO better. But there's a point at a senior 04, 05 level where now the chiefs are learning as much or more from the officers as they are from from anything else. So um, it, you need to need to be as a chief you have to be humble enough to understand that and and uh and and that's the officers definitely can help you and make you better uh i you may know um there was a command master chief his name was earl gray so earl Earl was recruiting uh but he was before that he was pearl harbor and uh i remember one day i was walking up the sidewalk in pearl on pearl with with earl gray and i see he, he and I see this lieutenant who's kind of, you can tell he's chewing on an E5, a petty officer, a, a, across the street and into a parking lot. And uh, Earl says, hey, wait right here for a second, Jason. I got to see what's going on. And he walks over there and uh, he talks, to, I can't hear him, but he's talking to the lieutenant and he doesn't even pay attention to the E5. He's just talking to the lieutenant. And then the lieutenant says, right, you know, whatever. And then they, they split up and he comes back and he says, you know, the, that lieutenant should not be chewing. The only thing that lieutenant should be asking at E5 is who's your chief. And then right. the lieutenant goes to the chief because if the, if, if the, if the wardroom doesn't use the chief's mess, if they VFR direct to a petty officer, you cut that chief out of the loop. And then you, you, that chief doesn't have the opportunity to, to lead uh, that petty officer. And the, and the petty officer didn't have an opportunity to look, you know, talk to the chief. So what I've told the, my wardrooms is please use your chief. Do not resist the temptation to on the spot, correct an E5, you know, find out who that chief is. You let the chief give the chief an opportunity to lead that E5 and, and, uh, and, and the chief will be better for it. You'll be better for it. And that petty officer will be better for it. And that's let the chain of command work. It's, it's so tempting sometimes for the officers just to go past the chief, but it's critical that the, that the wardroom uses the chief's mess uh, and and gives those chiefs an opportunity to lead. Yeah, absolutely. There's a balance to it. Um, there's a relationship, right? And it has to be managed. And again, you know, as you know, I, I felt compelled. We talk a lot about it. We'll share these sea stories, but I'm like, no one's ever written this down. So I threw it in the chief petty officer's guy because I want the wardroom to understand and talk about that. And I want the chief's mess too as well. Um, so as you know, you know, as we got up, you know, I work for a four-star admiral and, you know, a lot of time working about, you know, it's interesting as you move up, right? You're, you're a young petty officer and it's like, oh my gosh, that lieutenant commander is a big deal. And then we make chief, you know, it's like that captain's a big deal. And then you make command mass chief and it's like that admiral's a big deal. And there's a point to where it's not that they're not a big deal, but you're up there with four stars and um, 
the nature of the relationship changes, right? Uh, you learn from each other, you exchange stories. What's your relationship with the Commandant? Oh, man, I have the best relationship with the Commandant. He and I are very close. Uh, he gives me two hours a week of just he and I uh, and, uh, and and the team. His, his Commandant, Vice Commandant, and, and his EAs, and then me and Rob Bushy, the deputy, and and, uh, uh, and Master Chief Williamson, the Master Chief Head of State Coast Guard Reserve, um, we, uh, he, he gives us two hours a week. We, we get, I, I travel with him extensively. He's always, uh, he's, man, I tell you, I, I feel very, very fortunate. He, and it's just, it's on him. He, it's his openness. He's just, he's, he wants everybody's thoughts. And, and, uh, uh, I've never, you know, he's just very thoughtful. I've never had the opportunity to work for somebody, um, who, will ask so many people's opinion. I mean, he, he really, he wants to, you know, I've, I've worked for Admiral Ray, our vice commandant in PAC area, and he and I were very close and I, he valued my opinion, uh, very strong. I mean, I had to be careful what I said to him because he really valued my, my opinion. And I better, I had better been factual. If I was wrong, I, it was, we were both going to look bad. Absolutely. Uh, the, the commandant, he, he asks a lot of, he asks my opinion, but he also goes around and he'll ask. He's not afraid to ask a petty officer's opinion on something, and he will. Um, he values everybody's thoughts and opinions. He's the commandant's terrific. He's just amazing, um, and uh, um, we 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 spend a lot. I mean, we're very close. We spend a lot of time together. The, I would say that this this team, this leadership team, is probably closer than uh, I've ever experienced in my. Uh, you know, in my career in terms of our ability, you know, our connection. And that's saying a lot because I've had very close relationships with, I've, I'm probably, I've got some, some of my prior bosses are going, Hey, I thought that was <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but seriously, though, uh, for the, for the level of decision-making that goes on that we're, that the, the enterprise level decisions and the, the, the interaction that we have and the ability to, to share, um, our thoughts, you know, freely, um, it's good. It's, it's just incredible. So we have, you know, there's a difference between a chief's mess and then there's the social function and that chief petty officers association on the Coast Guard side, you guys are very organized, formalized with that. We have associations around the Navy, but usually they're at the unit level. You guys have, from what I understand, it's a, it's a national chief petty officer association. So what's your, I don't know if you're involved in that or you're a member of that. What's your relationship and what's their role to in the Coast Guard and the Chiefs mess? I think I'm an I think I'm an honorary vice president of the CPOA. Okay. So I've been a member for forever and ever since I made chief. Uh, our our national CPOA is a is a uh, it's it's a it's a member of the military. Uh, the, the military uh, advocacy group, you know, societies, like coalition, uh, yep. yeah, coalition. Yeah. And uh, we, we are small. Um, and so we kind of need a, a national level organization broken up by chapters. Uh, and we do have a, you know, we, and we all come together, we meet annually. Uh, unfortunately, I think this year uh, we were scheduled to meet in Seattle in August. I think it's going to be a challenge, but uh, um, you know, we, we, we're very close as a chief petty officer association. Our chief petty officer association is a, is a conduit for other relief agencies so that what we can do is 
if if somebody wants to donate some money to uh, following a hurricane or a contingency or you know some some natural disaster, uh, the Chief Petty Officer Association, being a nonprofit, can accept that donation, and then we can expedite the the delivery of of resources of need to the to the individual members because the chiefs on the ground know the know what the need is so it's been uh it's been a fantastic uh relationship that we've had with with the other foundations and and nonprofits that can uh that can help us out um we we have good leadership uh almost always a a former chief petty officer senior chief petty officer master chief petty officer is the president um, we have a, an executive director, and I'm just throw a shout out to Randy Reed, who's our executive director, does a fantastic job. And John Ostrowski is our president of the CPOA. He's also doing a fantastic job. And they're just they're just uh, they're dedicated. And um, and all our chapter presidents. And so one thing, Paul, is in the Coast Guard, you if as you seek positions of higher responsibility. You have to demonstrate your willingness and your ability and your desire to put in the extra time and volunteering to be a chapter president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, something leadership in a in a CPOA chapter shows that dedication and really helps your resume pop and stand out when you go to apply for some of these other jobs. So uh, that's a that's a it's that's that's a good thing. And hey, while I'm talking about organization and help and society. I want, I do want to throw out a, a, a plug to your chief before we run out of time, your chief petty officer's guide. I keep it on my desk. I read it frequently. I refer to it when I'm going to give a speech or I'm going to do an all hands or I'm going to talk to a chief's mess. I will, I will look through here and no matter what page I just randomly open it up to, there's a pearl of wisdom or some, some good talking point or something. I don't even need to I can just open it up and read it. It's kind of like a John Maxwell book, which I also have, where you just open it up and you can find something that's going to be um, worthwhile to talk about. So I just want to say thanks for your your tremendous effort putting this guide together. And we're thankful for the effort that you've done with the Coast Guard side of this. And um, I just want to say, um, you, you know, I appreciate it and I, I reference it all the time, if not yeah, absolutely. daily. Yeah, thanks for that. And uh, yeah, I, that was a passion of mine to write that. And why I'm so passionate about you know getting the uh, Petty Officers Guide out as well, because there's definitely an appetite. There's a gap there. And as you know, the leadership development systems and process and education that the Coast Guard or the Navy can offer, it just doesn't satisfy the appetite. So it's one small way to do. And then using you know vehicles such as writing for proceedings or podcasts and things like that, I think there's a lot of work that we can do off the bench, retired um, to continue to give back. So, all right, Jason, uh, last thoughts. So thanks. Uh, it, this is a, a great time. I, I want to congratulate all the chiefs for, uh, a hundred years. We have continued to develop the chiefs mess and, and very proud of our hundred years of service and the coast guard, you know, writ large, we're, we're doing, uh, incredible. We continue to do and have been doing incredible work in the face of, uh, this pandemic. And, uh, we're, you know, uh, we have, tried to be very flexible in our policies to make sure that we can still move people, still advance people, still, you know, recognize our high performers and, and, and serve our nation. So, um, we, we are, uh, a small, but mighty service. We're not the smallest service anymore. We, we, right. uh, we are the fifth largest, uh, uh, branch of the military. And we're very, we're, we're proud of that. We, uh, we, 
you know, we continue to, uh, to we continue to serve nation. But I also want to say thanks to the uh, U.S. Naval Institute and, and uh, you know, all the work that you do to highlight the, the, the Coast Guard and to advocate for us and to give us an outlet uh, to tell our story. Uh, we, we need it. We don't, you know, when we go to advocate for resources, uh, we don't have a big military industrial base to go to Congress and do, do, uh, advocacy for us. We need to, we, we, it's a grassroots effort and you provide, uh, a platform for that effort. So thank you for that. And, uh, you, you know, I continue to, to be impressed with your engagement, Paul, and, and your, your continued dedication to growing in the leadership of the workforce and to, um, make sure that we have a Navy and a Coast Guard and a Marine Corps, you know, the, the, the sea services, uh, are strong and you, you are continue, you continue engagement that is greatly appreciated. So, um, thanks again. And, uh, I look forward, I'm, I'm at your, sir. I'm sitting at my desk at attention anytime you call. Yeah. So, uh, when, when you, uh, when you need something and I'm here for you, thank you for, for all you do. Yeah, thanks for your support too, pushing out. You know, you're a great conduit, and I uh, appreciate it because the form is important, and that aperture and that reach. We're trying to get it out there and provide that uh, ability for that Coast Guardsman or that enlisted naval professional to have a voice and contribute to the readiness and the culture change that may be needed in our services. So, uh, thanks again. So, to our listeners, take advantage of open access through the end of June. Right, a lot of great things there. Uh, discounts on books, free shipping. Uh, you should see that pop, and you can check out our website, www.usni.org. Uh, for those who are members, thank you for your advocacy and support. Continue to be members. For those who haven't, check us out. Consider being a member. Till the next time, the Proceedings Podcast. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.